today's scripture is John 1, verses 29 to 42. Uh, I'm going to invite us to stand for the hearing of God's word and uh, invite you to follow along in the, the uh, bulletin insert or on the screen. The next stage in the adventure. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, the one who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify, John said, that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour or four o'clock in the afternoon when they connected. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter or the rock. God's word. Let's be seated. When we think about the adventure of following Jesus, what we can see is that every person, every person can discover Jesus by accepting his invitation to come and see who he is. The invitation once given to these two disciples is now given to everyone through God's word. Jesus invites you to come and see who he is. And it's not just come and see and kind of get a picture or a glimpse of him. What Jesus is inviting these two men to and what he's inviting you to is to come and see who he is and in the process, really, find your life purpose, find your meaning for life, for you personally as a follower of Jesus, but also, like John the Baptist, who we're going to look at today, more and more fully point other people also to Jesus and be somebody like Andrew who brings other people to Jesus. You see, the invitation to discovery isn't just for you, though it is for you. It's an invitation to discover who Jesus is and discover who you are meant to be in relationship with him. But then once you've found that discovery, be somebody who invites other people into that same process. John the Baptist is a very unique character. He's unique in the sense he's aware of the Old Testament. He's aware of the promises that there would be a coming one who would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit, would come and bring life change to us. Um, And and, and so he knows the the depth of, of Old Testament scripture, and he's able to point the way to Jesus. 
But in another way, John is, while he's unique, he also is a model for us in what it means to help other people see Jesus. N.T. Wright, uh, a commentator, had the opportunity once to connect with a man who was looking through an art book. And in the art book, he came to a picture of John the Baptist, and he kind of knew John the Baptist because of the way he's uniquely dressed and all that. Uh, And he knew that was John, but next to John was a lamb in the picture. And the man came to N.T. Wright and he said, okay, I get this is John the Baptist, but why is there a lamb next to him? And N.T. Wright helped him to see that one of the primary roles of John was to clear the way, like we talked about last week, but then point to Jesus as the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. John's role was, through baptism was to prepare the way, kind of to rid us of spiritual clutter and those things that can derail us from following Jesus. But in clearing the way, he wants us to see clearly that God's Lamb, Jesus, is the heart of the gospel story. And that Jesus' death, that he will eventually die for the sins of the world, is God's once and for all sacrifice that will ultimately complete all that was pointed to through the temple sacrifices and of the animals there. You see, in John's gospel, the death of Jesus actually takes place on the afternoon when the Passover lambs were being killed in the temple in preparation for the celebration of the Passover. So in John's gospel, he wants us to see that Jesus is the true and one and only Passover lamb. And in this way, in John's particular way, he wants us to understand the event of Jesus as a new and better Exodus story. So just as the Passover sacrifice took place prior to the the release of the Israelites from captivity in Egypt, what John's wanting us to see is through Jesus' death as really the one and only Lamb of God, there's a greater Exodus from slavery that takes place. And that's an exodus, that's a bring, be, being brought out from and a slavery to sin and death. Not just captivity, not just you know, a problematic situation, but ultimately to redeem, restore, rescue God's people from the ultimate slavery of sin and death. You see, Jesus is the one who frees us. Frees us from that captivity. And in offering us that freedom, that is why he is worth following. Because no one else can free you from sin. You can't do it yourself. And many of us have tried, myself included, tried to live a a better life. But but we all fall short, right, of of God's glory. We all make mistakes. We all blow it at, at various times and in various ways. But Jesus provides a way out from that and the, and the burden of trying to save ourselves by sacrificing himself for us. And so John wants us to know that and he wants, us to, help, he wants to help us discover Jesus. And, and there's about five things here in the passage that he does. First he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He wants us to know Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for our sin that delivers us from death and leads us into new life. And, and, and he actually, when it says that, that he takes away the sin of the world, it's, he takes the sin off of us 
and he put it on himself in the cross, on the cross. And, and the imagery partly behind this in the Old Testament is that of the scapegoat. And the scapegoat in Old Testament times was an animal that a priest would, would basically take the sins of the people and, and threw on his, his hands, put his hands on the head of this, this animal and, and, and basically place the sins of the people on the animal. But then they would actually set that animal free into the wilderness. And, and, and the, the imagery is of how we are set free by the, that sacrifice. And now Jesus as the Lamb of God in his once and for all death sets us free from sin and death, takes the sin away, removes it, and, and frees us to now live a new life. And Jesus is able to do that. In the Old Testament, it says that he would be crushed for our iniquities, that, that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and that he would blot out our transgressions in Psalm 51.1. It means literally they, literally they are whited out. Uh, you know, we don't use white out as much anymore because we're usually typing rather than writing. But most of us are of a generation, whatever, that we wrote things out, we made mistakes, and we had to use the white out, right, to, to, to write something correct over it. Well, what we can see spiritually is, is our sin, our shame, our guilt is whited out through Christ's sacrifice, and there's something new written there. You're now a child of God. You're now a son or daughter of the living God because of Jesus' sacrifice. And John wants us to know that, that the sin uh, and our guilt and all is paid in full, that Jesus' once and for all sacrifice has removed that sin and now freed us to live a new life in him. And John has tremendous humility. I mean, you think about the fact that two of these, these guys are his followers. He's teaching them. But he realizes that, that Jesus is the one they really need to be following. And so he basically steps back and he says, follow him. How many leaders do that? How many leaders are humble enough to say, I'm not the one you really should be following. It's really Jesus. And step back and give someone else a primary role. Well, John did that. And he did it because he knew of the power of the sacrifice that Jesus would make for the people and he also knew that Jesus had actually pre-existed. It said, uh, John says, This was he of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, or was before me. He existed before me. And because of that, he has surpassed me. What John is pointing to is the fact that Jesus existed before all time in that intimate communion with the Father in heaven. And therefore, because he was there before the beginning, he's able to now come and restore us in time through his life-giving death. And all this is revealed to John by God, but also centrally at Jesus' baptism. And one of the more interesting events in the life of Jesus was that he actually came out to this uh, revival that John had started through baptizing people in the Jordan River. And Jesus himself submitted to baptism, was baptized by John. And if you remember that event, at Jesus' baptism, it said that there was a voice from heaven that came down and, 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 and that there, the Spirit of God fell upon him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. The father put his stamp of approval on Jesus the son at his baptism, and John saw the spirit of God come down on him. And that was the testimony to John 
that this is the one we're looking for. And this is the one who can ultimately transform and change us. Because if the Spirit came down and remained on him, and Jesus is the one who has the Spirit, he has the Spirit then to give and impart to all the sons and daughters of God. That just as Jesus received, you know, the Spirit came down on him and that day at his baptism, the Spirit can come down on and live in and move among every one of you who acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. And John's already pointed to this, right? In John 1.12, he said, Yet to all who believe him, to those who, who, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he's given the right to become children of God. So in Jesus' sonship and in our welcoming him as our Savior, as our Lord, as our leader, we find that we are given the right to become children of God. And in finding that identity, We then, like John, are meant to point other people to that opportunity that all the lost children of God would come home to him and find welcome, find love, find care, find reception. And what Jesus does in that is satisfy our need, not only for a savior, but a present companion who we want to spend time with and and get to know and learn from. And that's what happens with these followers who hear John's testimony and then follow Jesus. And the disciples discover Jesus here by coming to see who Jesus is. They heard John's testimony about Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, go follow that guy. And they followed Jesus. But it also said they spent that day with him. And there's a key question here. When, when Jesus turns around, we're going to talk about that part from Jesus, but from the side of the disciples, they come and they say, you know, where are you staying? And it wasn't just like, what's your address? I'd like to write you a note or stop by sometime. It was, where are you hanging out? Where are you at so that I can come and be where you are? We have that inkling, I think, when we gather for worship. We, we, we've had those experiences. We experience God's presence when we've gathered for worship. And so we come to worship with an anticipation, I hope you do, an expectancy, an expectation that you're going to meet with God. And I often start our services by saying, we gather for a life-changing encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. We're not here to go through the motions. We're not here to practice certain rituals. To come and spend an hour here in the midst of everything else in our life. We are meant to gather and encounter God. This is one of those spaces and places, while he's everywhere, where we believe we can meet with him. But the good news is we also meet with him in other places, right? We meet with him as in a walk in nature. We meet with him as we reach out on campus. Uh, and places and spaces. And when I made that reference, here's, here's the thing. We're going to hear a little bit about an opportunity in a while that we have to support uh, students at Nevada Union High School. And I'm really going to encourage you to have your ears perked up when you hear about that because it's a great opportunity to serve uh, students in our community in need. Uh, but this last week, uh, we had the opportunity to start uh, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes Club on campus. And this is something that my son Josh and some of his friends uh, had a desire to start, and they found a faculty advisor, sponsor that would be willing to open up the room. And so Morgan and I go over there, we grab about six Little Caesars pizzas, and, you know, and, and we know walking across campus, people are like, where are those pizzas going? 
Because wherever they are, I want to be. You know, it's like, you know, the Jesus factor, but pizza, you know, like attraction, you know. But Morgan and I are there, and, and one guy walks by, the, the golf coach at the school. He says, what are you guys doing? Well, we're starting a fellowship of Christian athletes and bringing pizza. And this guy just goes, yes. My son attends Campus Life, and we don't have any uh, ministry on campus here. And, and pretty soon, a, a gal walks by. You guys are doing what? Oh, we're still starting a fellowship of Christian athletes. And she just goes, yes. And she's the wife of one of the pastors at Twin Cities. And, and even before we've gotten out of the, the check-in area, and, and then we had one of our students who used to attend our youth group and I think might be having a rough ride right now. And she looked up, what are you guys here for? What are you doing? Oh, we're bringing pizza and da 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 Oh, okay. And we got to connect with about 20 students that came to the club in the first meeting and uh, got to present that opportunity to see the way athletics can be a way that, that we experience Jesus in the midst of that and uh, celebrate that connection. And I could say Jesus was in that room. He was at work in that place. That was one of those places he was staying. He was, he was at work. He was remaining. His presence was clearly there that day. Well, we want to be people who, like the disciples, not only hear about Jesus in this setting, hear the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, but we want to be in those spaces and places where Jesus is hanging out. We want to hear, hey, Jesus is the one that can remove your sin and give you new life and accept that reality uh, for ourselves, but we also want to be with Jesus and spend time with him. And the reception of that good news that, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is not a passive reception. So I love the fact that it says that these two disciples heard that and they followed Jesus. And, and, and I think they did that in two ways. Literally, physically, they started walking after him. But secondly, they also became two of Jesus' close followers or disciples. And Jesus is interesting in who he invites here to discover him. Because, you know, in, in Jesus' day and age, it was the goal of people to, to be, uh, to have a rabbi, to have a teacher, and, and be uh, in their school. And, and what would happen was, each young Jewish child would grow and, and, and learn scriptures and basically be in a rabbinical school, have a teacher, and learn and grow till about the age of 13. But then, it was only the best and the brightest of those students that would continue on with their intensive religious education. In other words, if you didn't make the cut, you would go back to being a fisherman, being a farmer, being a carpenter, you know, uh, and have a trade like that. So what I want to say about these people who followed Jesus was, uh, Jesus did not call them out of the religious system, and Jesus didn't call them within the religious system. He basically picked people who hadn't been picked. So if you're one of those who was picked last at high school PE when they chose teams, or you weren't picked at all, you're the kind of person Jesus now says, come with me. Come and spend time with me. Come and get to know me. Jesus picked those who weren't picked. And I get interesting descriptions when I'm hanging out with, you know, high school students or whatever. One guy the other day said, well, you know, I, I might want to come and check out your church, but I would burn up when I walked in the sanctuary. I'd like combust in flames because of things that I've done. And I said, you know, I've had other people express the same concern, and it hasn't happened yet. 
So I would encourage you to to come and check out one of our services. I really don't think you're going to burst into a ball of flames. uh, Because I haven't burst into a ball of flames yet. And I show up and I sin and I fall short. And, And the reason we're here is because we believe there's a God who accepts us and welcomes us and cares for us. And has done what's necessary for us to receive the very forgiveness that I think you're looking for. So these guys come and they they spend time with Jesus, those who hadn't been picked as followers, who first then identified themselves with John, who John's clearly working outside the system, out there in the desert. They go, they, they attach themselves to John, but then they start following Jesus and they spend time with him. And they basically become disciples, which means literally means learners or followers. Disciples are people who attach themselves to a given teacher, and this was a relationship of personal commitment and submission, like father and son, though it doesn't always work super well in my household. Teachers and disciples expected utter loyalty from each other, and to let the disciple follow another teacher without a murmur was extraordinary. Again, there's humility in John and saying, I'm not the one, he's the one, go and follow him. And Jesus, uh, when the, and these men ask, where are you staying, Jesus? And, and then what we see in these, these men following Jesus and deciding to turn to him because they're hungry and they want to learn and they want to get to know him is that Jesus helps those disciples discover who he is by inviting them to come and see. And this is my favorite part of this passage. Jesus turns around and he, and he says, what do you want? What do you want? And, and I want you to think about this question and application today. We did something similar last week. A question that I want you to reflect on. If Jesus were to turn around and he's turned towards you right now, he's open towards you spiritually, and he, if he were to ask you, what do you want how would you answer that question? And this is not a, you know, this is a real question for you. Jesus is in front of you. He's turned around. And he says, what do you want? How would you prayerfully respond to that today? I want peace. See you again. Forgiveness. To draw closer to him. To trust and and believe. Say that again, Los. You want to glorify him. You want to reflect his likeness. Salvation. We need salvation. Yeah, Charlie. Ooh, abundant life. John 10.10. Come to give you life and life to the full. Not... Lesser life, more life. Sue? Peace. We need that inner peace. We want peace among in the nations, Ukraine, other places. Hope. Grace. We need God's grace. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Get to know him more. Tony? Ty? Ooh, write that one down, friends. 
maximize my potential to serve him. That's our meaning. That's our purpose, right? And uh, I'm going to move us forward a little bit here. That key question, what do you want, is followed up by a key invitation, come and see. And so what I want you to catch is a lot of the things that we think about that we want are subsidiary or secondary to what we primarily need. And as a dad, I'm often working through needs and wants with my kids. <laughs> and those are different, often. We have a lot of wants. We have some central needs. And a while back, we were on a, a spiritual retreat. Our staff got away for a day. Uh, Linda and Jim O'Kay are so gracious in opening up their home to us and their beautiful property. And uh, we got to spend time in prayer. And I was reflecting on this question, Mike, what do you, what do you want? And I had big ideas. I'm like, man, I want to see my, my boys grow up as followers of Jesus. I want them to get into college. I want to see my grandkids. I, want to, this, this, I'm a, I was going for a while. And then I thought of a song, lyric from a, my, one of my favorite bands, Switchfoot. And Switchfoot's song just says this. Let me know that you love me. Let me know your touch. Let me know that you're near me. And let that be enough. I'm going to say that one more time. Let me know that you love me. Let me know your touch. Let me know that you're near me and let that be enough. And I realized that was really all I needed. And in the midst of my crazy wants, (laughs) Jesus reminded me of what I really need. And that's just him and time with him. And if he invited Andrew and John, we think the second guy in this story is John, to come and see who he is, what I want you to hear today is that invitation is open to you. To come and see, to come and spend time with him, to learn and grow in relationship with him, and that this church is an open opportunity to do that through worship, through growth groups, other opportunities to learn and grow. And what I want you to see clearly in this instance and in this story is that when Jesus turns towards you and he says, what do you want? It is not, what do you want? It's not even, what do you want? Like, you're bothering me. I really think it is, what do you want? And I believe that Jesus here is the face of grace. He's the face of God's grace open to you, saying, what what do you want? What, What do you need? And, and, and most of us don't see God's face, Jesus' face in that way. I think because of different experiences, we think we're, we think we're bothering him. We think God doesn't have time for us, or we're irritating him. And we hear, we think that the, it's what do you want? Like we're, like we're bothering God. And I want you to see today the invitation to the adventure of following Jesus is, what do you want? And when we grasp that and understand that and spend time with Jesus, we can become like Andrew, who after a few hours with Jesus, first thing he did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found him. We found him. We found the Messiah. And it says, he told Peter, we found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. And there's no big sermon. There's no four-point gospel presentation at this point from Andrew. He just simply found his brother, told him what he knew, and he brought him to Jesus. And friends, you can do that. I can do that. We each can do that. And guess what? We're each called to do that. 
to not just be on this adventure ourselves, but to be, as a result of discovering Jesus, be like Andrew, where we help other people on their adventure. And a lot of us are still muddling through our own adventure. I get it. I'm still muddling through my own adventure in life. Lots of highs and lows, lots of twists and turns, lots of difficulties. But in the midst of where you are, you can help other people. Why? Because Jesus is the one who does that heavy lifting of change. And just as he looked at Simon, he says, I know you. (laughs) I know you. But you're going to be called Peter, which means rock, because I'm going to enable you to serve my purposes. I really believe Jesus wants to change your name. Jesus doesn't want you to be caught up in those old descriptions. Somebody once told you you were too slow, too you know, not smart, you know, people hung labels on you, we've all received them. My boys like to remind me that I'm bald on a regular basis. But I truly believe Jesus wants to change your name in and through his power and his grace to make something of your life, to transform and change you and help bring about the transformation change of other people through his power, through your witness and through your sharing. And by God's grace, he'll do that. Amen? Amen. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. Let's hear you.